Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hoffcast. This is episode 54. Uh, guest on the podcast this week is the very funny Ryan Stout. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, been having a good time. Uh, was just up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Had some fun shows. Uh, Idaho Falls. I had never done Idaho Falls before. I mean, it's a <laughs> the 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 place only does once a month up there. Uh, but it, it's kind of funny cause they, uh, they put up this big, um, this big metal sign, like where, which would normally have the name of the comedy club, but at this place they had, uh, they had, um, the, uh, it, it just said laugh like heck. That was the theme of the show laugh like heck so you can already you already can tell there's there's some mormon influence there it's it's clean comedy up there and i didn't really know that until i got there which is not it's not a huge problem for me but uh you know i wish i had known in advance <laughs> until i got there and the guy's like ah you know pg and those of you who know my comedy it's like pg-13 so it's not a big ask to dial it back but there were a few jokes i couldn't do there were a few choice words that i had to like switch at a moment's notice almost every bit I was going into like my brain was operating three seconds ahead of my mouth like am I gonna have to censor this it's like the opposite of television radio where they have the second seven second delay uh so you know everything's being recorded and then seven seconds later it airs that way if somebody says the wrong thing they just hit the bleep button and they can do that. Uh, but with stand-up, you have to, you're like on a seven-second, I, I would say it's closer to three-second, a three-second like advance, so that your your brain is out ahead of where you're talking just to make sure you don't say something stupid. <laughs> and it's kind of hard, and I ended up, uh, I think at one point I was going to say ass, and I said bum, because within three seconds, while my mouth was being operated, I couldn't think of anything better than bum. What would have been better in the moment? Like, ass is ass is kind of funny, and I don't think it's that offensive. But I was like, just let me continue with the laugh-like-heck uh, theme here. And uh, in three seconds, bum came out. Because I didn't feel like butt was funny enough. Uh, plus, I say it a couple other times in that same joke. So I was like, I don't want to overuse the word butt. Uh, scunner is not... Uh, <laughs> is not a, a common enough used term. I don't know what else I could have said other than bum. What are some... This has become really stupid now. What are some euphemisms for butt? Let me see what it is. Uh, words for butt. This could come back really bad. And now this is on my permanent Google search here. Butt, end, wait, arse, backside, Backside's too long. It's not that funny. Bum, there I am. Uh, buns could have been funny. That could have been funny. Hindquarters, eh, too long. Hind end. Keister. Keister. Keister's the funny one. Yes, posterior. Stern. That's like a boat. Tail end. Tushy. Tushy's kind of funny. Bottom is, you know, childish. Fanny. Fanny. Fanny and Keister, those are my two votes uh, for funniest. Let's see. You got four Keisters, four Fannies. Four Fannies because of the uh, alliteration there. Uh, Fanny. I should have used Fanny, but I didn't. In three seconds, my brain wasn't operating at, <laughs> at that level. Plus, you know, Google's a lot faster than me. Uh, so in the future, Fanny is what I will use. Four Fannies. <laughs> I kind of like it better than I might not say ass anymore. I might, I might go 
maybe maybe tonight's show I'll try uh, Fanny instead of <laughs> instead of uh, instead of ass. I'll give it both a shot. I think I have two shows tonight, so I'll try Fanny and uh, and Keister, and I'll get back to you on which one which one is funnier. Um, guys, I I, I want to get right into my guest. Um, first, I want to plug a few shows. Um, I plugged them last week, but uh, the thirteenth of this of March, Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, at the Firekeepers Casino with Cable Guy. These are all Cable Guy shows. Um, uh, the 20th in Chandler, Arizona, Wild Horse Casino. Uh, then April 3rd, Niagara Falls, Ontario. The 4th, Shawnee, Oklahoma. April 10th, I'm uh, just with some other funny comics, Jetpack Comedy in Los Angeles. Um, May, uh, May or April 16th, May out of Kansas. 17th, Deadwood, South Dakota, 18th, Canyonville, Oregon, 19th, Blue Lake, California, 25th, Newkirk, Oklahoma. Those are all with Cable Guy. And then the album recording, May 14th through 16th, Skyline Comedy Club in Appleton, Wisconsin. Get those tickets. Let's sell this thing out. Uh, that would be awesome if we could sell. Let's sell out Thursday first, and then we'll work on Friday. Then just push everybody to the weekend. So let's get those tickets going. If you know anybody in the Appleton, Green Bay, northern Milwaukee area, push them up there. Say, hey, you got to go see Hoff. He's recording an album. Check him out. Uh, my guest on the podcast this week, very funny comic. I've known him for years. We don't work together that much, but every time I see him, he's always... Always oh, just an insightful guy and super funny, guys. This dude is really different. Check him out. He's He's got a Conan online you can see him on. I mean, I think he taped that forever ago. He's got a Comedy Central special. He's got three funny albums. So give those a listen. His name's Ryan Stout. Ryan, like you spell Ryan, and then Stout, like the beer. Um, so let, I, I want to make this a thing now, okay? When I have a guest on, if you guys could do me a favor and just find them immediately on social media. Press pause right now. You can come back to the podcast. Press pause. Find Ryan Stout on social media. I guess if it makes more sense if you liked him to do it afterward, but I'd rather you just blindly uh, take my word for it. Like If I'm having him on here and I'm telling you to check him out, trust me, they're funny. Uh, Ryan Stout, just deadly funny. Dark, dark humor, but he does a really good job at it. I mean, he... Uh, Guys, trust me. Go find Ryan Stout. Tell him you heard him on the Hoffcast and you had to see more. Uh, it makes me look good. It makes them feel good. Why would you not do that? It's free to do that. It's free to do that, by the way. Costs you nothing but maybe maybe 25 to 30 seconds to find him on there and send him a little message. So please do that for me. Do it for yourself. Do it for Ryan. Ryan Stout on all uh, social media. Find him on there. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with him. I, I really did have a good time sitting down with him. And a very funny guy, smart guy. Enjoy this conversation with Ryan Stout. Stay safe out there from the coronavirus. Doom, doom. Get right into it because I don't know how much time you have. This doesn't take very long anymore. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to sit back or are you going to sit straight up I'm like sit that up the whole time for a little bit? God just damn. to monitor the levels it's in the beginning. Very proper. <laughs> you watch out here. Yeah, I may yeah. have my shoes off, but I'm proper <laughs> as hell. 
Uh, <laughs> I am sitting in Los Angeles with a very funny comedian, Ryan Stout. We're in West Hollywood, buddy. West Hollywood? Proper. So that's what you call it? it no matter where I am in the city, I call it Los Angeles. We're in the boundary. Oh, well, it's Los Angeles County. Sure. But, um, well, it matters to me, especially where I'm at right now, because... Uh, the street south of here is the dividing line between L.A. and West Hollywood. And if something happens on that street and we need to call the police, they will fight over whose call it is. Sure. But it's still the same number. It's still 911. No, no. I mean, you know, like normal, like, hey, there's a crazy person wandering around out there. You call the there, police number, s- like, screaming. get out the phone book and I look usually up the call number. the West Hollywood Sheriff's Department. Really? But they will be hesitant <laughs> about, like, are they on the south side of the street? Because if they're on the south side, that's not us. Okay, so. Like, y- there was a woman uh, coming up the street uh, one night. I was out walking the dog, and she's just walking in the middle of the street, right. walking f- west, and then she's just grabbing people's trash cans and then throwing them down to block the street. As you do. And then going to the other side of the street, grabbing a trash can, yanking it down. <laughs> and so, um, and I think she might have been on rollerblades, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. But like I called the West Hollywood thing? Sheriff Department. I'm like, hey, you've got a woman. Right. She's, she's headed west, meaning she's on the north side of the street. She, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's pulling all the trash cans down, trying to block traffic. And I even yelled at her. I was like, Hey, you know that's really gonna fuck up traffic. And right, right. She, she just goes, "Fuck you." Of course. What did you What did you expect coming out of this person's mouth? Oh, I uh, never considered it. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think she'd be rational, but <laughs> I, I just wanted like whatever voices that were in her head that were dictating right. this to happen. I wanted them to confront something. You wanted to add I to didn't, it. I didn't just want it to be a free-for-all. <laughs> you know what's crazy? There's a lady that walks around our neighborhood, and every you know every, every other week I'll see her, and she's yelling at somebody. Yeah. She is seeing somebody, and she it's expletive-laced. And the first time I ever heard it, I thought, somebody's in an argument. Mm, so yeah. I was like, let me go down, because it sounds like a lady. Let me go down and make sure everything's okay. And I walk down, it's just this lady yelling at the air. Uh-huh. And I... I got about 30 feet from her and I said, hey, wh- what's going on? And she looked at me and she like stood up straight and she goes, I'm sorry, sir. I'll move on. Okay. And she just walked away. I was like, how is that? How did that work? How is that the one time that ever works? It, it just she snapped her out of it. Or, or she just knew like the limits. Like you can't, once somebody says something, then it's just easier to move on than to have to spend the night in jail or whatever Right, it is. right. Well, and, and it means that she is cognizant of like the world around her. There's something there. But uh, it, and and I really worry that that's going to be me. <laughs> like when I walk around when I'm alone, just I go on a lot of walks. Okay, um, with the dog or just by no, because he's a slow ass. Okay. so I don't want to. I can't be waiting for him to smell everything. <laughs> um, I have walking to do. Um, <laughs> can't let a dog get in the way of my walk. No, um, he's too slow. His legs are too short. He he wants to. Okay. He just slows me down, so uh, he gets his own walks. But uh, right. when I'm out and I get into a nice rhythm, that's almost like uh, it's almost meditative, you know, because you're you're walking at your pace and right, it's continuous right. and it's not really stopping. Uh, you know, ideas start to flow, and I start talking to myself. Okay, and I don't know that I'm doing it. Is it out loud or is it more mumbling? Mm, it could be a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, but sometimes I will get a strange look from people and I'll be like, oh shit, was I talking to myself? Or yeah, are they yeah. just looking at me weird? Uh, Jay Larson, comedian Jay Larson, 
Caught pull, you? Pulled up to me one time, rolled his windows down, and was like, hey, who are you talking to, buddy? <laughs> In his little Boston accent. <laughs> and then I, I look over, I'm like, you know who I'm talking to? The person who, and I hold my hand up and I'm holding an envelope. Sure. The, the, the person I wrote this letter to, and we're going to the post office, goddammit. <laughs> uh, you had more to say in the letter. But a lot of times I don't know, I don't think I know that I'm doing it, okay. but it is it is why I walk, so that I can like flesh out ideas and you're not talking into a voice recorder or anything no. there's no okay no okay sometimes i'm just like rehearsing bits so idea comes to you yeah write it down on your phone sometimes yeah, yeah. i, I Notepad? think i think i've been doing the phone thing long enough that it's become the go-to yeah because for the first until we all had computers in our hands i would i would have a notebook in my pocket yes, yes. And then I would write stuff down. They would fill up. And usually I would have to transfer the little notebook to a bigger notebook and really go further with the idea. Right. Uh, but now with technology, now it's like, well, I'll just cut and paste it from my phone and send it to my computer and then, you know, <laughs> lay it out on the laptop and rearrange things. And if you're writing a bit in that way, you type it out? Uh, I should do it more like that. Okay. Um it's it's it always gets to a point where I, I get frustrated and I go, I got to write this down. Yes. I have to write it down because otherwise there's no way to see it and rearrange it like as a complete piece. Right. Right. Because yeah. yes. I'll I'll cut and paste and drag stuff and, you know, move it around and get upset with myself. Yeah. 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 I, I still have to write everything longhand. If yeah. I, if I type it out, all of a sudden it becomes like an email and I'm a different kind of funny and it doesn't translate when uh, I go to perform it. Even if what I wrote is funny, yeah, it doesn't fit my performance style. Right. But, well, I think that's where the talking it out comes right, right. into play because I don't think any of us write and then memorize the chunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I. that's a few people maybe. Yeah, it's it's. I've done it a couple of times, but even then it was like I wrote it, I stood up and talked it out, <laughs> I sat back down and went, no, 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 we have to rearrange this. And then I stood up again and said it, like you're talking to you're myself. You're in, talking to yourself. I'm like walking around my apartment talking to myself. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to hear the words. I want to feel them come out of my mouth. And you really, maybe you don't need this, I really need those... Uh, those neurotransmitters to fire in the correct order in my brain and yes. form a neural pathway so that I know that I can say the words correctly right. again and again and again and again and again. So I end up, I, I might be a strange case amongst comedians, but there are bits that I wrote in 2004 that yes. I can recite right now without a problem. Really? Because they've not got, having done them in 16 years. There are big longer bits that I've gotten into where I'm like, nah, I might have to review that one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one I don't quite remember. But short jokes, like one-liner jokes, it's they they were told so many times. Right. That they're part of me. I'm the same way in that I have to say it out loud. And if I'm not doing that at just an open mic, I've got a handful of open mics that I'll do yeah. over the course of a month that I'm just like, this is where I'm just going to say seven new things out right. loud to people. Right. But if it's, I, if it's not there, it's either to my wife or I have a couple of friends that aren't comedians that I just share sensibilities with. And I just say, what do you think about this? Yeah. And yeah. see if it resonates. Yeah, that's probably my favorite uh, thing about stand-up comedy that I think a lot of non-comedians will never understand. Yeah. Which is... When you're a comic and you tell your friend a joke and you go, I think I, I think this is funny. Right. And then your friend who's not a comic goes, yeah, man, that's not. <laughs> that happens so often. Too. I don't I don't think that's going to play. And then you get on stage and you do it and the audience loves it. Right. And then your friend goes, well, uh, whatever, dude. I mean, I'm not a comic. Sure. 
Like they're they're really quick to announce I'm not a comic <laughs> as soon as they're wrong. But from the top, from the outset, where they should say, Yeah, I don't know, maybe it's funny, maybe it's not, I'm not a comic. They never do it at the top. Yes. They always do it once they've been proven wrong. Right, right. Yeah. That's why I go to the friends that are at least positive about things. Yeah. Most of the time. I have yeah. some friends that are like, No, that's not funny. Yeah. Or or you should do it like this instead. And I'm like, Well, okay. Yeah. Pump the brakes. My my wife does not like I would say a, a bunch of the stuff that I come up with, like her sensibilities. The first time or when it's working on stage, she's like, "I they're laughing, but I don't get it, Ryan. Um, no, she gets it. Okay. Just her sensibility is like, yeah, that's not, I don't think that's for me. Okay. Fortunately, my wife was never, she was never committed to my comedy career in any way. Really? Like when I met her and we started dating and then took, you know, uh, we took a trip to New York really quickly. Okay. And then uh, I went and she was, she's a, she was tour managing a musician. Okay. So she was in like, she had to leave, which is a, an interesting position for a comic to yes. be in. Yes, yeah. Uh, we started dating and she was like, hey, I've got to go on the road for two months. Okay. <laughs> and so she went to South Korea and then down to Australia and then over to Dubai. and oh, then, so like gone, gone. And then London, and she had a week off in London. So I flew to London, hung out in London with her. And at that point, you had been dating for how long? Mm, three months. Three months. And wow. So yeah. it must have been going really well for you to be like, I'm going to come to London. We went to New York after we'd known each other about four days. Whoa. That was our that was our first an unplanned or trip. did one of you have to go for something? She had to go for she, work. She had to go, and you're like, well, I'll tag along. Well, she she asked me. She was like, hey, you know, I've got these miles. <laughs> like, if I bought you a ticket to New York, would yeah. you go? And I was like, um, this is hang our on second, a second date. And so I went to the bathroom and I like threw water on my face and I was like, is there any reason that you wouldn't go? Right. To New York with this woman. Is there any like anything keeping you in Los Angeles for the, this weekend? Yes. And so I went out and I was like, so if we went to New York, I'd have to pack a suitcase like right now. Yeah. Because yeah. we have to be at the airport in like nine hours. And she said, yeah. And I went, all right, well, let's do it. And so we just we went to New York. Obviously, everything worked out. Yeah. All we got, right. We got married. But and congratulations. Thanks. I haven't seen you since that happened. <laughs> but uh, I would think that'd be red flag. Girl says come to. Come, come to New York. Come with me to New York. We've known each other for three minutes. Yeah. Come with, like, because you could kill her. Yeah. Like, I could have. I, I mean, you still could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Look, I'm playing a long game here. But it's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into it. I'm going to announce it on a podcast. Nick, I'm part of the life believes. insurance policy now. Yeah. You're, like, you're I'm, in. Total, I'm in there. Got now close. I'm a suspect. <laughs> um, so, but the difference is because she was... She she traveled so often. Yeah. And because I had traveled so often, like traveling with another person isn't as big of a deal. Right. I guess that's true. You know? I guess. Um, yes. And, and we're going to New York. It's not like... <laughs> Things go south. It's yeah. not like we're not going not to Bakersfield. nobody around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. In New York, I, I could say, oh, she's crazy. I'm going to get a hotel of my own. There are other hotels in New York car. City. I'm going to go stay with a comic friend of mine and yes. sleep on his couch. Like, I can get out yeah. if okay. I needed that makes to. Sense. Yes. Yeah. You're right. There were options there. I didn't think about those options because, I mean, this is... <laughs> uh, I, I met her on a Friday. We went on a date on a Sunday. And we basically hung out from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday. Okay. And then she was like, I have to go to New York tomorrow. And I went, all right, let's go to New York. <laughs> all right. I want to get back to this, but the... so. You cannot bounce jokes off her, or if you do, you don't find it like 
So she's we, not hitting the ball back. Our none of our relationship was based on the idea that she went to a show, she saw me do stand up, she liked it, and right. then liked me. She met me actually at the bar at the improv through friends. Okay, but d- had never. Never watched me do stand up. Right. Didn't even go home and look up my stand up. It's better that way, right? It was better for me on like a, an emotional level to be like, oh, this woman's into me for me. She doesn't yes. care about my job. That weird thing that you yeah. do on stage. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, the, and it was, I, I don't think I really had had a lot of that support in my life. Okay. Um, a lot of the women I dated were were fairly invested the, in my career, sure. as was I. Yes, and they wanted me to get on TV and do well and make a lot of money, so that you know I could take care of them or whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, or introduce them to celebrities or things like that. Like there was going to be a definitive payoff for a lot of these women gotcha. for me doing well. Whereas my my wife, she's she's like. Yeah, I'm I'm around celebrities. She's got her own life. I don't I don't need that. That's perfect. You don't need to. <laughs> pay for me i have my own money thanks back it off buddy by the way when i said that weird thing you do on stage i wasn't implying that you do a weird thing on stage i do i, I do a lot of weird things well on stage. <laughs> I, we're gonna get into that too but like just the fact that stand-up is a different beast it's sure a, it's a thing and then people who meet you after a show is not necessarily you know they look at you differently yeah than your friends look at you right 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 but i also needed to get to a place personally and and emotionally where i could um i think I think in my twenties, if I were with a woman who didn't like my stand-up, uh-huh. I, I would, I wouldn't know how to make that work. It would shatter you. I would be, f- f- like, personally offended, okay, or or frustrated or something like that. Whereas, there's a separation now, and it's not that my wife doesn't like anything that I do. Right. She likes a lot of it. I know I make her laugh in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's just when I come up with a new bit, and I sometimes I'll share it with her, and she'll be like. Don't do that on stage. <laughs> do not do that. It's going to make a lot of people angry. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I want it to kind of make people angry. And she's like, don't, no, Ryan, just be nice. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, I, I've seen you a few times over the years. Like, we, we don't do a, a lot of shows together, but we did the Big Bear Festival together. And I saw you do a show there. Yeah. And I remember uh, I saw you at the Ice House a few years before that. Yeah. And, I mean, you go up and you crush, but there is... You are different from other comics because you set this stage. You go out. I always thought, and how I think of my set is I have to go out and I have to be funny first. And then I show them who I am. So that first joke has to be universal. And then I can show them who I am. And then I can get a little quirky. Yeah. You almost from the onset, like (laughs) turn the table on its side Uh and you get a pleasure out of it. I do. You can tell that you're smiling and you Uh like having this turn where an audience has to figure it out. And then you almost... You teach them, I would say. Is that the way you look at it? You teach them how to you're, you're doing absorb great. your comedy? You're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. And I wonder, at what point did you realize in your career, how many years had you been doing it where you're like, I'm doing this darker humor that once people realize that it's a joke and they can just get on board, yeah. they're going to love it. Right. But if there's something in their way. There's going to be a lot of resistance in their way because they're yes. not accustomed to it. Right. You know, a lot of these people get up, they go to jobs, they work in an office where there are rules about what is and isn't allowed, and now even more rules about what you can and can't joke about exactly. in the office. Yeah. Who who you're allowed to look at in a certain way, <laughs> where you put your hands, like they live with so many rules. Yes. And then they're in a dark bar drinking poison, yes. which is booze, mm-hmm. and then an adult gets on stage and it's like, Yeah, we're all adults. We checked ID. 
Yes. <laughs> you know, this is this is an open space. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I tell my first joke and a lot of their eyes get wide. They're like, I don't know what to do with that joke. Yeah. And I have to go. Yeah, but you don't dislike it. That's the whole thing, everybody. So come on. Right. Let's let's do the Let's let's be in an, an adult nightclub together. Um, and, and the other problem is that, you know, when I was growing up and I was first introduced to stand up, I got very curious about it. OK. And uh, I immediately tried to watch as much as I could mm-hmm. from as many people, different people as I could. And then I went to the library and I right. tried to find books about stand up. But yeah. in the early 90s. There weren't Not many books yet. Yeah. You know, stand-up was still, you know, it blew up in the 80s, which is why it was on TV in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh-huh. But then it was collapsing pretty soon after that. Yeah. Not a lot of rich history to find out about. Steve Martin hadn't even written his book yet. No. Certainly <laughs> no no um, real culture of it outside of the comedians themselves. Yeah. Uh, and so where do you where do you get educated about what the hell's going on. And I was very frustrated by that as a child, as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old. Like, look, I'm actually putting a lot of effort into trying to figure out more about this. Really? And I can't find any resources. And so you remember being frustrated that you couldn't I remember being like, it all out. why is it I want to know about stand-up comedy? I go to the humor section of the bookstore. Yeah. And it's, it's picture books of cats stretched Garfield, out. Yeah. In various positions called cat yoga. (laughs) And then there's a book of like dumb one-liner thing that dumb kids have said. Yeah. Boneheaded things. And the book is called Boners. So I'm in the humor section and those are my choices. Cat yoga and boners. I can't find out anything about stand-up comedy. So you check both of those out. Yeah. So both of (laughs) those came home with me. Um, And and by the way, you can find Calvin and Hobbes. You can find all sorts of stuff in the humor section. And it's like... It is such a weird trash heap yes. that you have to dig through. And so I was looking for Lenny Bruce's autobiography, okay. How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. And I couldn't find it. And I knew the Barnes & Noble had it. So I go to the front desk and I ask them. And they're like, oh, that's in the theater section. Okay. And wow. I was like, Why? Not the humor. Not section. even with the biographies. No. no, no <laughs> it's no. in the theater section. Like, And it, it was very frustrating as a kid to realize like most people don't even know where to put stand-up comedy yeah. in their lives. They don't know where to put it in the bookstore. <laughs> they don't know where to find out information about it. So I got on stage knowing full well that the audience sitting there knows virtually nothing. Sure. And I resented the fuck out of them for it. <laughs> because I knew they were now going to judge me based on their knowledge of nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About what I'm up here doing. Sure. And so I had to I had to be very crafty with my words. I had to hold their hand. I had to make sure that if they, especially because I started in San Francisco, uh-huh. if you use the wrong buzzword, they're going to get angry with you. Yeah, yeah. So being like going through that little gauntlet. <laughs> How many years in did you have to like take time out of your set, though, to address it? Almost never. I, I would do the jokes the way I wanted to do them, and I would say if there are complaints, I'll just deal with those later, and I know how I'm going to deal with them. Okay. So, um, for instance, one of one of the first jokes that I really felt like I was really kind of banging away on all cylinders uh, was uh, this joke about, um, do your friends ever go out and buy something, and you'll buy something similar or identical, I remember this joke. but you get it's a better price? Uh, doesn't that feel great? Don't you feel just righteous and superior? And I'm building it up to get the audience to nod their heads yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want them to identify with that feeling. 
And then I say, because I just started supporting one of those third world kids, right? Yes. Or my friend was supporting one of those third world kids. And he's paying X and I'm paying Y and I'm getting the better deal. And it goes on and on. And I knew that would upset a San Francisco audience because I am the victim. The joke is this kid. Right, right. But you nodded. You nodded your head yes. Yes. We <laughs> You're all... already on board. Mm-hmm. So now if you want to complain about the joke that I'm making fun of this third world child who is missing limbs, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I got a bargain. <laughs> um, if you want to pick, a, pick that apart as that victimizing somebody, I could say yes, but is that the joke that I'm making fun of? Or am I making fun of the idea that our capitalist values sometimes lead to not so great outcomes. Sure. You know, and as long as I can pose a high-minded question like that, most people, most snooty people who think they're intellectuals, they shut the fuck up pretty quick. Because they understand what you're talking about? Because they realize that, oh, I guess there's a mental activity that goes with this that bumps up against my emotional response was, hey, you're you're not supposed to make fun of kids that right, are right. They're hurting. And I always shoot for that. That collision of thoughts versus feelings uh-huh. has been the cornerstone of everything. Yeah. And, and I l- so I, I just learned to work my way into it. And, uh, and, and a lot of people are too emotionally fragile or they are too intellectually um, bankrupt to sit there <laughs> to sit there and deal with that. You know, they, they genuinely they genuinely can't sit for an hour and deal with this concept. Right. They can't have their thoughts and their feelings collide without getting just in a tizzy. Like they need a therapist. What's funny is that you would come at it and you would explain to them, no, you you know, I had you on board with this, and you go with this high-minded approach, whereas if I were confronted by somebody after a joke like that, I'd say, there isn't even a kid. Right. I didn't sponsor the kid for 36 cents or whatever it was. Right, and comedians, we did that for a long time. We would tell the audience, these are jokes. Right. Unfortunately... The phrase, these are jokes, they're just jokes. They're just, take it easy, it's just a joke. That got hijacked by most of society to defend themselves from outrageous shit they were saying that they could not defend. Because once you say it's a joke, nobody can argue with you. Like they can't tell you that it wasn't a joke because you're the joke teller. Sure. You know, it's like it's it's an airtight defense. It's hard to prove intent. It's it's impossible. Well, you're you're announcing your intent. Right. Right. But the problem is you have these these shitty people at bars. You have shitty politicians. You've got all sorts Mm -hmm. of shitty people out there who used it as an excuse and it infuriated the public. Yeah. So the public becomes infuriated by this idea of it's a joke. Let it go. And then they turn their focus on us. And they're like, you're not allowed to say that anymore. And we're like, no, but we genuinely are the joke tellers. <laughs> right, exactly. They had heard it's a joke one too many times from racist people. Yeah. And they're like, jokes. So the problem is jokes. Who's there? Who's are, they're the, the people with the jokes. Which which really came, it really blew up in our faces around 2011, 2012, yeah. when it came to people writing blogs about rape jokes. Mm-hmm. Because I have no doubt that women go to bars and they hear dudes telling jokes about rape. They hear it at the gym. They hear it getting catcalled down the street. Yeah. There's sexually inappropriate commentary happening around women all the time. Yeah. But then they made the leap that was unfair. They conflated it. They said, well, who tells jokes? It's comedians. There he is. And then you go, it's not us. And I know it's not us because our art form is literally on record. 
you can buy records yes. and listen to what was recorded. You can listen to what people were laughing at. <laughs> so if rape jokes are a problem in stand-up comedy, by all means, show us the examples. Right. And they never would. They didn't do it one time. Because they were still too mad from the original incident. Well, because they, they're just flabbergasted that we would question them. Because yeah. they know in their heart and their feelings tell them, no, 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 rape jokes are everywhere. I hear them all the time. How can you tell me I'm not hearing them? Yeah. But what we're saying is, yes, you are hearing them. You're not hearing them in stand-up comedy clubs. Stop Probably pretending not. that you are. And and stop pretending that there's a billion comedy clubs out there. There's like 200 comedy clubs. Yeah. <laughs> there's not enough comedy clubs for this many women to hear rape jokes strictly from comedians all the time. Yeah. It's not happening that way. And you have no evidence that it's happening. <laughs> so what the fuck is going on? Again, it's people who have, they've done no research into stand-up comedy. Nothing about our history. They have no resources, but their feelings are going to dictate, well, this is, this is what I think stand-up comedy is. And you go, okay, you're crazy. Do you think that this is a battle that we're going to win? Or do you think eventually society will just squeeze us down? Well, it's a battle that's been going on, in my mind, since since Lenny Bruce went to court. Right. Which is another story that people fuck up completely. They they mistell that story by saying, well, Lenny well, Bruce fought it, for freedom of speech, and now because of him, comedians get to say whatever they want right. without fear of government persecution. And you go, yeah, but, but Lenny Bruce was found guilty by a jury of people okay. who were just like you. And those people still sit in our audiences. And by the way, some of the people in like Chicago, I think, it might have been New York, um, the jury didn't even get to hear the bit. No. They were just told what the bit was from a police officer who kind of could remember that this Lenny Bruce said some things. wise about... And the 12 the people on the jury unanimously decided, yep, obviously he's a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's where that was in the 1960s, and that's where we're still at with stand-up comedy. But we're You're, not there, right? Well, you no, we're Law still is we're not getting involved. No, 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 but it's but it's public as, court. As far as somebody thinking, I don't even need to hear the joke. I've heard enough. Right. The comedian's guilty. With every other human creation, whether it's poetry or film or paintings, right. we've all come to the conclusion, well, you can't judge it unless you experience it. Like we settled that a long time ago. <laughs> But somehow when it comes to stand-up comedy, you've got bloggers on the internet saying, no, 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 I, don't, I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to hear the joke. I don't even need to know what the joke was to know if the comedian joked about this topic. The comedian's wrong. Right. <laughs> and they're, and they, they feel totally justified doing that. And it's mind-numbing that they, don't, they won't treat us with the same type of logic they treat every other human with. Yeah. And as long as that remains true, as long as there's no education and there's an attitude that, well, we don't need to be educated, we're going to fight this battle endlessly. So is there any responsibility of a comedian to, or any kind of like um, anything they should be mindful of or 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 do to make sure they're not uh, taking away that trust that an audience should have in a comedian? Oh, you mean... Is there any due diligence a comedian should do? Like anything that, like maybe we, that subject, maybe not the subject is taboo, but the way of handling the subject is taboo? 
What's um, the responsibility? Our responsibility. Sure. I, I I think unfortunately that's the that is the go to response of the audience. Right. <laughs> the audience is like, well, I know how to solve this. Comedians should be more responsible. Yeah. I know how to solve this this problem that the audience is ignorant. The comedian should do better. And you go, well, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, when it comes to arts in American society. We developed this idea that artists should be allowed to do whatever they want, and then the audience has a responsibility to come in and view that art um, with an open mind. Right. But with stand-up, what they've decided is, no, you work for us. (laughs) So all the responsibility is on you. And they will not accept the idea that they have any responsibilities at all. Right. And, and I think the most basic level that comedians have talked about for a decade is, hey, you came to see me. Right. <laughs> you could have looked me up before you came here and you chose not to. So this is on you. And, and audiences won't believe it. Right. You know we what? We keep I, repeating it and audiences don't believe it. I had two instances and one is one was caused by the other. I was doing a club up in Canada two weeks ago. And on like Thursday night, there's a guy in the audience. I'm I'm just asking some stupid question, like who who here's married? Yeah. And one guy from the back, like I can hear him going, and I I was drawn to it. I, you know what is this? What? Yeah. I Weird noise. You You've know, been on stage a lot. That noise is not common. <laughs> and so I investigate. You know, unfunny story is the guy survived cancer. He's here. I try and make it a positive, like oh good for you, man. Like and but. It made things weird. Like up to that point, I was feeling good about my set. And then for about 10 minutes after that, everything was strange. Uh-huh. And I didn't think about it until I was like, what What has happened here? And then I realized, okay, that's about where I lost him. That uh-huh. must be it. So I I can either just trudge forward yeah. or I can address that guy again. Yeah. We, we're, and it's either going to get way worse or, or, or possibly pull out of this tailspin. <laughs> And I was able to go back and he had a good sense of humor and we joked about it. And then he was like the callback and everybody was once they saw he was on board, everybody was on board. But but until then, people were weird. Yeah. And so then the next night and I did it just once and I haven't done it since. But I, I liked the reaction I got. I got up there and right away I said, you know, our destinies here for the next 45 minutes are entwined. If if you guys are having fun, I'm not having fun. Right. If I'm not having fun, you're not having fun. So let's get to the same place together. And that's the only time I've ever said that. Yeah. But it had like a bonding, and it could have just been a good crowd. Right, 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 right. It so has I, a bonding effect. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my second album starts off with a bit about like we're in this together. Okay. And it's I'm comparing comedy to sex. Okay. And like I'm going to give, and I really hope that you also give. Right. And, you know, the essence of the bit is I don't want to be doing all the work here. And then you're just lying there <laughs> and you you lie there. And when it's all over, you're like, yeah, that was OK. Yeah, it was OK because you gave nothing to this. Hey, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so a, so you've done it better. So I'll just play the first track of your second album <laughs> at the beginning of every one of my shows. They should do that at, at every comedy that, show. Yeah. And by the way, that second album is called How to Be an Audience. So it plays into the idea that you brought up earlier of like teaching the crowd. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever thought about is does that bit exist in video form? Um, I think it does. I think there's a YouTube video. You should clip. license that for clubs like Tacoma and Spokane that play a little thing. And right now it's Amy Schumer, but it's been that way for the last yeah. several years. They need a new thing uh-huh. that tells the audience how to behave. You yeah. should license that to clubs. That's interesting. Yeah, I I think the YouTube clip probably isn't high quality enough. Sure. 
to, you know, to put on a big screen. Well, we I think that. the audio of it is great, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and that's a good way to promote yourself. And also that's my unsolicited advice. Yeah. But I wish, I wish audiences knew that going in. Cause so often they look at it like they're at a movie theater and they just press, well, it should just be funny. Right. Regardless of what it's I'm doing. It's just going to be funny. I'm going to leave, go to the bathroom. I'll come back. I'll, everything it's gonna will still continue be going. being funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the idea that people think they can just like look at their phone and right. not pay attention and then if they don't laugh well obviously it's because it's not funny no because yeah. a joke has a setup and a punchline and you missed the setup Gee, that's exactly. on you <laughs> i had a group of women at the uh arlington improv okay and uh, i get on stage and uh, i'm i'm headlining so you know they've been laughing for 45 minutes before i got up there yes you, you'd think the crowd would be focused at this point but I get up and I'm doing my opening piece. And while I'm talking there as, as a group of like eight to 12 women, they're at their table and they're talking. That's it. And I hit my first punchline and the like right before I hit the punchline, they stop talking and face forward. And I hit the punchline and the club erupts in laughter. Right. And everybody's laughing and these women are confused. Except for them. Right. So you know what they do? They start talking again Ugh. about what, what did I miss? What did he say? What was that? Uh, and so because now they're talking, they're missing the setup to the next joke. And they stop talking and I hit the second punchline and the room erupts and they're confused again. And so they start talking and this goes on like three or four times. <laughs> and then finally, one of them out of frustration says something like, why is any of this funny? And I went, oh, I'll tell you why it's not funny because you're talking through all the setups. Right. And then you're missing the punchline. You're fucking it up for you. See all these other people? They're on board because they're hearing the whole joke. Yeah. You ladies talk to each other through every setup and then you miss the punchline. And that upset them. To a great <laughs> I was like, did degree. that get them on board? Well, because the rest of the audience clapped because the They've rest of the audience were like, them. yeah, these women are a huge distraction. Yeah. So these women get up and leave and then tell the management that I'm a horrible comedian and right. whatever else. There's the Yelp review. And it's, you know, 12 women walked out. We had to refund them. You know, the management wasn't upset because they knew these women were a problem. Most comedy clubs are that way. Yeah. Uh, but it is these those 12 women, much like the 12 Lenny Brewsters, mm -hmm. <laughs> they think they are completely in the right. They can't even comprehend that they did anything wrong. Yeah. And that's the attitude they carry the next time they go see one of my friends on stage. Yeah. And you go, no, ladies, stay the fuck out of the comedy club. You might as well go to an NBA game and walk on the court. You're right. Who had the they joke? They can play around you. There was somebody in the 80s who had a joke about uh, going to the ballet and tripping the ballerinas. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> why can't she dance around my leg? Uh-huh. If she's so good. <laughs> if she's so good. If she were really something. Yeah. She'd do that pirouette. Pirouette? Pirouette. Pirouette. What did I, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that Plie. Thing. That's the f only was, time I've ever said that in my life. By the way, that's that's something I bring up to people a lot, too. I, I bring up the idea that, hey, how much do you know about ballet? Yeah. And they go, nah, nothing. And I go, do you feel bad about it? And they go, no. I said, all right, you probably know the same amount about stand-up comedy. Right. And yet, if I were to tell you you don't know anything about stand-up, you're going to throw a fit and try to defend yourself and pretend that you do hey, hey, by hey. listing off some Netflix specials I, you saw. I use my uncle's Netflix, and yeah. I've watched a few. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of people play piano, and you know what? I can't play a lick of piano. That's true. Don't know fuck all about it. Don't know what the chords are. Don't know how to read the music. Don't know where the pianos are made. Yeah. Uh, and so there is this... Yeah, this unfortunate ignorance hurdle that we're facing that I just can't get over. 
I just it it <laughs> I, I obsess with it because it feels like a losing battle, and uh, I like a losing battle. Right. I'm a fighter. Some guys <laughs> that would be detrimental to not be able to get over that, but you've turned it into your <laughs> thing, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, and I think it's partly because of my parenting. Uh, my mom had this philosophy of life that was terrible, which is, hey, you're always going to try to do the right thing and you're always going to work hard and somebody else is going to come along and fuck it up. Right. Very Irish Catholic <laughs> uh, way of looking at life. Okay, yeah. Of, uh, you know, you just try your best and you'll never get ahead because all these other dimwits are going to ruin it. Just a defeatist, a defeatist elitist. A defeatist elitist. And, and also, um, don't be an asshole and give up. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you if you stop doing the right thing, if you stop trying, well then you're you're a failure. It's not going to work, but keep going. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then uh to have to have my dad. My dad, I've actually said on stage like, "Hey, I'm going to yell at you guys. I'm going to yell at the audience a lot. Don't take it personally. Right. If you really want to get into this, uh what the message I'm yelling is, what do you want from me? And I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling at my father." Okay. And uh, that's been true my whole life. Like my dad would, you know, he'd re sit there and read the newspaper and I'd be like, dad, I got all, all A's. And he'd be like, great. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Hey dad, I, uh, I joined the basketball team. Good for you. You know, very positive. Yes. But like, when do you get out of the chair? <laughs> <laughs> Has it gotten out yet? Do I get a hug? Do I get like, uh, and my, I had a therapist describe it as like, yeah, you're walking through and you're like, dad, I'm going into battle and your dad, you want your dad to say, all right, I'll grab my sword. Yes. I'll go with you. Yeah. And he's not going to go. So you're going to always do the right thing <laughs> and somebody else is going to fuck it up. And no matter what you do, you're never going to get your father to get out of the chair. Is that what made you a comedian? Um, I don't think so. I think it was, uh, uh, I think it was coming up in the 80s and having stand-up comedy around me and having just a general interest i think just getting curious about it and saying how do i do that i think it was tied into a, a different idea of um so i i had to go to private school till third okay. grade and the reason i had to go was because i wasn't old enough to get into public school like you had to be five by september 1st okay yeah and i was going to turn five on september 30th now growing up in texas Every parent, that's their dream because they're like, awesome. We're going to redshirt this kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to redshirt this kid. He's going to turn six 29 days after he gets into kindergarten. I was six when I went to kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be bigger than the other kids. I was still smaller. Uh, were you? Yeah. I was, um, I was smaller than all the kids. Okay. And uh, we went to a child psychologist to make sure that I was smart enough to go to kindergarten. And okay. Handle blocks. And your parents <laughs> wanted to send you early to get you out of the house they were working they they didn't think it would be necessary to keep me home another year okay uh but yeah they were they were like yeah let's get this kid moving especially when you were looking for dad's he, approval all the he's time. smart he's like, can we get this creep out of here well, he just he's keeps fine. looking at me yeah uh and so and my my parents are intelligent people they're right. members of mensa and still around my yeah my older brother went to caltech like okay. uh, smart smart genes right uh so i went to private school and when you're a kid and you don't know anything about school at all, mm -hmm. in kindergarten, is at a private school where you're like, okay, that's where the pool is, and this is where the computer lab is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when we had lunch, I would go into a dining hall 
with okay. tablecloths and silverware. Right. And I would stand next to my chair with all the other kids. You would hang your jacket up on the... Until, until the principal came in, and then the principal would allow us all to sit down, and we'd all sit simultaneously. Like, when you're in kindergarten, you're like, oh, this is just how lunch is. You don't yeah. know that there's a different way of doing lunch. Yeah, just going into the mess hall and grabbing your stop sign pizza. And Dude, I was I was stirring my iced tea one time, and the uh. the spoon is <laughs> look. I've got I've got child sized muscles in my fingers to 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 control my precision grip. Yes, and I'm trying to stir my iced tea, and I remember the teacher who sits at the head of the table says, "Mr. Stout, if you continue making that noise, you're going to end up in detention." Right. So as as a five year old, my eyes are like getting wide, and I'm like, "All right, I have to stir." Newly the, five. I have to stir the tea, without hitting the sides of the oh, glass. Oh my goodness! Because that's how a gentleman does it. I have to create a a whirlpool without <laughs> clink 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 clink. Oh clink. my goodness! I'll, yeah, I uh, I didn't have any of that kind of culture growing up. Yeah, it was just public school. But in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that's that's. Uh, a league of their own when they te- taught them to be ladies and they're walking around with the books on their head. We were not allowed to wear jeans to school. No. Um, so now you got to get yourself some dockers. And and by the way, like as a as a class of children, we would leave the classroom every like w- multiple times a week. We would go to the library and have library time. We'd go to the music center and have music time. We would go to the computer lab and have computer time. We would go to the gym. Okay. We'd swim in the. We did like. But but here's here's the point that I'm going to bring up. Third grade, I went to the public school down the street from my house. Okay. And that was like Bernie Madoff getting sent to Gen Pop. Right, right. Like it was, <laughs> you walk into the gymnasium where they've folded down all these tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they <laughs> and then the they've, they've slid these metal curtains aside to allow for a lunch line to go through. Mm-hmm. And you've just got kids running around. It's pandemonium. Yes. They're they're like some of them have thrown their lunches away and they're just hanging out at vending machines. <laughs> and as a kid who only knows like tablecloth, everybody sits down at the same time, we all eat, we all get up and leave. Right. That structure and now it's just chaos. First day of public school, I was immediately an outsider. Yeah, impossible to make friends. Immediately and and not even that just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on here right and i don't have a vocabulary to communicate like what the hell i'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis right, so now you're just you know i get, your iced tea in i get home from school and my mom's like how was school and i just can go it was fine yeah i it's it's a mountain of difference yes i remember the teacher telling us that we had to cover our books <laughs> yeah and, yeah and i'm sitting there i'm seven years old at this point and i'm like why would we cover the books yeah. Why wouldn't we just take care of the books? And then some kids spilling caprice on all over his history textbook and I'm like, "Oh, that's that, why." That's why. Cuz these children are animals. <laughs> okay. And I can't communicate what's going on with anybody. I okay. don't know how to do the special origami to put the paper cover on my books. Yeah. All the other kids are knocking it out. I'm just sneaking all the books into my backpack going like, "All right, I'll take care of these at home." Right, right. I'll figure it out later. I don't want to be embarrassed publicly and let these kids know I'm an outsider. So I'm just going to like stay in my lane, stay quiet, stay sharp. How long did that last? The rest of my school career. (laughs) Really? Well, no, you get you get used to it after a while. At least that first semester was just you sitting there quietly trying to stay out of people's way. Um, Yeah. and, And trying to figure out what the hell is going on. 
Because I had one, like when I was in school, there was one kindergarten class. Right. But by the time I'm in third grade at the public school, there are six different third grade classrooms. Yeah, that's a weird thing. And I was like, wait, what? And then fourth grade comes and I go, oh, I have a new class now? Yeah. It's not all the same people? See, that, that didn't happen until junior high for me. I, I had a small, it was public, but small elementary school. Yeah. You know, there were only a handful of kids and we all knew each other and we just spent the whole time together. Sure. So middle school was a nice reset because everybody was confused. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then I looked good because I seemed confident. Like, yeah, I know how to, for years. I know how to navigate <laughs> when things change. But when I was in third grade, when I'm eight years old and this, this thing is happening, every day of my life is just confusing. Okay. Of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And around that same time, I'm seeing stand-up comedy on television. And there are these people getting on stage, grabbing a microphone. You're telling Comedy Central. I'm watching A&E's Evening at the Improv. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah, I think Comedy Central didn't even, hadn't been developed yet. yet. Okay. Um, but imagine that idea. You're now watching an adult talk to another group of adults. Mm-hmm. And their main message is, what's going on in life? Yeah. What are we doing? We've got this weird thing happening. Are you kidding me? And then they're getting a positive response from these strangers. Right. I was instantly drawn to that. Okay. The idea that I could communicate to other people what, like, the confusion that's happening all around us. And instead of being in a haze, because they all, they don't know any difference. Right, right. You can actually, like, influence somebody's thought process and make them go, oh, yeah. All right. I can see where you're coming from. If you can make them laugh, there's some disarming about that and there's no argument there it's not set up for arguing it's set up for okay they communicated we understood let's see the next person okay so you've grown up in this house uh smart parents smart brother one just one brother i have a younger brother too who okay so you're um, in the middle i mean he was he always went to public school and he's my little brother is the most rebellious of all of us okay yeah that makes sense because he's genuinely smart and hates authority figures (laughs) That's all um, comedians, right? Well, he's. Uh, I was always willing to like look at an authority figure and nod my head and say yes, absolutely, right. And, but in your head, you and were... try to, you know, on the surface, impress them because they were a decision maker of some sort. Yes, you know, they were the teacher who would decide if I get an A, or they're the principal who's going to decide if I'm being sent home. Right. My little brother, just keep his mouth shut. Just I'm not even give like... these people the no. satisfaction of getting a response out of me. Okay. My little brother is most famous for one phrase, which is, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he would get in trouble the entire time he was in school. Right. Yeah. Just just, uh, just a guy who doesn't doesn't deal well with being told with what to do. Do you think he was trying to get a reaction out of your dad? Um... I don't know. I see. I can't. I can't speak to his perspective because he also had this very confused older brother, right? Right. <laughs> who is dealing with my own bullshit in the world? Right. Uh, he just. He definitely had a different tactic than I did. Of he probably looked at me dealing with my parents and went, "Yeah, I don't like that." Okay. They're walking all over him. <laughs> Do, you, are you and your wife? Are you thinking about kids? Is that a thought? Uh, I mean, on the we, horizon? we we talk about it sometimes. Okay, but uh, you're not knows? against the idea. I'm not. No, okay. I thought I was, and then I was kind of like, I'm 37. You meet <laughs> meet the right girl, and all of a sudden probably, it becomes a possibility. Yeah, it's, it seems like uh, a definitive good thing to have in life. <laughs> some some children. Do you ever feel like you're becoming one of your parents? I feel like that sometimes. Um, yeah, I I fight a lot against my mom's psychosis. Okay. I mean, she definitely had the biggest influence on me. 
and definitely gave me a uh, s- some poisonous thinking. The good <laughs> and the bad. You um, absorbed it all. The, the good and the bad, certainly. And I've been fortunate enough that probably around 2011, I started seeing a therapist and this person got to kind of explain to me like, hey, that idea that your parents gave you, not not exactly true. Oh, really? Yeah. Disagreeing with your parents? Um, well, and getting me to disagree with them. That's nice. To be like, hey, look, um, and and I was a, a willing participant. Yeah. Which is a problem when somebody goes to therapy and they know that they're correct. <laughs> <laughs> they know that they're correct and the world is wrong and they, they totally see their parents' side of it and totally think their parents were correct and did a good job raising them. I just need a person to agree with me. As opposed to, I sat there and went, hey, I know my parents tried their best. They probably got some shit wrong, though. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't hard to get me to turn and be like, oh, that's the problem. What was the catalyst that made you think, okay, I would like to go see somebody? I was, uh, well, it's funny how, like, you when we pick apart my life, all of the real life things versus the stand-up comedy things, uh-huh. how intertwined they are. Right, right. Because I think what put me into therapy was I looked at stand-up comedy as a career, and I said, all right, you have to become the opening act. And then uh-huh. the middle act. Yes. And then you have to get on television and then television will propel you to headline. Yeah. And then you do like a, a special on Comedy Central and then, you know, and that was as far as I got. Right. <laughs> and I did all those things. Yeah. I achieved all those milestones. But by, you had no picture at, after at that. At 2010. And I was asking like managers and agents like, well, now what? And they're like, well, you have to create a show. And I was like, I don't. I don't give a shit about television. <laughs> well, you have to like get into movies or something. And I'm like, well, I really don't care about acting either. Like there's no real passion there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For, for these things. And, uh, despite the fact that I could host television shows, which I, I do take some pride in. Right. Um, that was not, that's not exactly something you can just make happen. You know, right. Right. Uh, especially now everybody wants their television host to be a celebrity. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I wasn't even getting to audition for those jobs. So 2011 is when things really started to crumble and fall apart. You had reached the top of the mountain and you were like, there's something else up there. I'd this reached the highest mountain. I had done, there's that famous Prince quote of like, I've been to the top of the mountain. There was nothing there. <laughs> and Did he put that in a song or is that just something he said? He said that to an interviewer who was like begging him to like come back to music and take his rightful place at That's the top funny. of the pop charts and Prince is just like smiling, laughing at him, going, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Yeah, 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 There's nothing in that for me. Why climb it again? Yeah. <laughs> so 2000, 2010, I was newly single. Like my girlfriend who I thought I would have married, uh-huh. she she went through some some things. Uh, a friend of her, hers passed away. Okay. She kind of lost her mind. She ended up just, a, there were a couple of weeks I was living with her where I didn't even see her. She would get up in the morning, go start drinking. Oh, yeah. Walk yeah. in the door. It's it's dark. And she'd be like, All right, good night. And yeah. then and then she would drink from a NyQuil bottle and then pass out. <laughs> Yowzers. And that was going on for about two weeks. Like she was dealing with some serious pain. Well, yeah, that's that's terrible. And uh I there was no way for me to get through to her, despite the fact that I would try. Yeah. And uh that relationship just collapsed. She ended up uh breaking up with me and I never saw her again. Oh wow. Like, I went on the road to do a date, and I came back. She was gone. Then I went on the road to do another date, and I came back, and all of her her furniture was gone. And I've still never seen her. Wow. 
Yeah. So that was in like 2009. Okay. So 2010, we are my Comedy Central special airs. We're doing some things. And then I just don't know what to do with myself. And I just got depressed. <laughs> so you're like, I don't have the answers. Agents don't have the answers. Let's see if a therapist has the answers. I can keep going and doing stand-up comedy. I can keep telling jokes and writing jokes and creating new jokes. Right. But then that thought is in my head of no matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, somebody else is going to come along and fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. And so when that's in your head when you wake up every morning, that this is all useless. Dang. You're, you're depressed. So I had to go see a therapist, and it took me about, I'd say, six months to actually go. Like, once somebody gave me a card for a therapist and said, this guy's good, go talk to him. Still took, like, six months to call, but I was fortunate that I put that card, like, on my fridge and had to see it every day. Yeah. To be like, all right, if you feel bad, the answer's right there, dude. It's right there. Yes. You can just go see this guy. (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it. Do you still see someone actively, or did you kind of get fixed and leave? I... I saw a lot of improvement, okay. and uh, I was still going regularly when I met my wife, mm-hmm. but she's she's a good supplement. Yeah. Like, she's very emotionally stable. Nice. And, uh, you know, I, for anybody out there who's struggling with anything, if you have somebody in your life who can just heap love upon you, yeah, that's going to solve a lot of your problems. I agree. <laughs> and it's going to make you sit and reevaluate things. Because if I sit around being grumpy, being like, what's the point? No matter what I do, it's not going to work out. You've got a person there going, no, 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 come on. <laughs> it's going to be all I'm right. Not, I'm, not, I'm not putting up with this. What do you need? Yeah. Do, you, do you need a pizza? <laughs> let's, let's get a pizza and then let's reevaluate. Are you hungry? That's great. Yeah. Uh, But that's ultimately, comedy is what got me into therapy. Yes. And then trauma is what got me into comedy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. So are you, like, I I don't see you, I don't do a lot of shows in town. I do one or two a week and then I'm out on the road. Right. Just banging my head up against the wall. And I'm kind of in that same like you you see you try and plant the path in front of you and you try and just chase that path but then at a certain point it disappears it gets really foggy and that's that's what happened to me in 2010 yeah there's no path anymore and you go well what am i supposed to do how do i proceed and what i really had to learn is when you're 18 and you're asking like why am i doing stand up comedy yeah when you're 35 and you're asking why am i doing stand up comedy those better be different answers what? like like, if you've got the same answer <laughs> after almost two decades, uh, it means, like, you haven't really changed a lot. <laughs> right. And you really need to reevaluate. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if one of your answers now is, like, well, yeah, i got to take care of my kid. i got to make sure this kid eats. i got to make sure that... Well, there's definitely... There's, that's the reason I take some of the crummier jobs. Yeah. I mean, that there's a motivating force there. And I'm not saying it's the primary force. Right. I'm saying that... Sometimes if you get off course, you just need a little bumper to bang you back into yeah, yeah, into yeah. position. And that's a great one. But the way I've always looked at that fog at the end is I'm like, well, when I get the fog, if it's not clear, I'll just try and get through the fog as fast as I possibly can. Yeah, there is. I think there's value in just having momentum, too. When you just keep putting projects in front of yourself and trying to create and yeah. I, I feel like positive things happen. They do. Just you put yourself in a possession, like one thing that you're working on all of a sudden and it doesn't come to fruition, but then like seven years later, somebody goes, hey, what about this? And you say, well, I had this thing and then all of a sudden now that's happening. Right, right. So oh, I, had a, I had a script that's been sitting around. 
but I definitely yeah. eke myself around sometimes where I go, I don't know what the hell. I mean, I'm just banging my head up against the wall. Why? Because I needed to gather those 30 fans. Yeah. Well, and it's it's hard at at age 37 to go to the improv and hang out with the 24-year-olds yeah. who I used to be. Uh-huh. I used to be one of them. <laughs> I used to be hanging out with the other 24-year-olds, drunk, you know, talking about how great comedy is, talking about what we're going to do. Yeah. And now I'm 37, and I go and I hang out, and I go, where are all the 37-year-olds? Where all, where all my friends go? I'm at home. I'm going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to hang out. <laughs> and that answered a question that I had when I was 24 of, like, where, where are all the great comics? Yeah. Like, I thought they would be here. I thought they'd be hanging out. And it was like, no, no, they stopped hanging out because you're obnoxious. Because <laughs> you 24-year-olds come in with your energy and your hopes and dreams. They just do their thing and, and leave. And it's, uh, and it's a lot to handle. And we don't know your names. <laughs> yeah. There's so many of you. There, more. Every uh, day. More than ever. Every, I just go and I just do my time and I leave and get back to the family. Yeah. Right. That's it. Right. I'm very excited to leave a show and then come back to my wife and dog. Isn't that the greatest? So happy to do it. <laughs> and uh you know it's not hanging out till 1 30 in the morning yeah it's i get off stage i say goodbye to some people i'm like yeah i gotta get out of here yeah <laughs> and then she's happy oh you got home early uh-huh look at this yeah we can hang out walk the dog okay i <laughs> i got a couple questions for you here and then we'll wrap it up i i noticed you have um it's it's so funny because i, I don't want to say the title of that one but i own that same one sarah yeah. got me my wife got me a handful of she got me this one. Yeah. Uh she got me a handful of like things just to hang up like we don't have a we don't have a record player. I never listen to them. Yeah. But, but you've like, got just, LPs on the wall now. Just inspirational things, things yeah. that I think these are great pieces of art. So those Steve Martin albums were so popular that they're right. incredibly easy to find. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is why everyone has them. Versus uh you know, there's some more I'd say that's the Steve Martin brothers. People see that record all the time and go, what is this? Yeah. But that was, that was one of his, his later albums. Uh, the Smothers brothers. I got that from my mom's record collection. Now are these, would you consider these all influences or like Smothers brothers that kind of predates you? Like were you it predates me a lot. The, the reason I have that one is it's live at the purple onion, which is in San Francisco, right. which is where I started. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to play at the Purple Onion a whole lot. Does that still exist? Uh, no. No. Now it's gone. Okay. I remember uh, hearing about it, but I know. Well, they, somebody licensed the name and okay. put it in a different venue, but where they recorded, and actually, Zach Galifianakis had a Netflix special early on when right, Netflix yep. was still DVDs, uh -huh. and his, his was live at the Purple Onion. Right. I remember that. And uh, that's the space that I, I was fortunate enough to do a bunch of shows in. Yeah, and you got Carlin. Are these guys, are they on your Mount Rushmore? Uh, Carlin and Richard Pryor and Martin. Uh, who would you put up there? Who are your influences? Who who are the guys that when you finally found comedy? Yeah, you're like the, those are the guys. You know, s early on when all you had access to was whatever you could find, you find a lot of Richard Pryor. You find a lot of Carlin. Yeah. Um, there was a fair amount of like Bill Cosby out there, but right. but Bill, even as a kid, I was just not interested in Bill because it was so family oh, friendly. You're so lucky. You're so lucky that you didn't gravitate toward well, him. Now you're just empty. Yeah, oh, I I certainly heard his his work, but I was also kind of like, when when you're a teenager, especially like even preteen, like eleven, twelve. Right. Part of the thing you like about stand up comedy is like it's edgy. You're not supposed to be listening to it. Okay. You know, there's there's these adults saying adult words, and there's right. adults laughing. Like you don't want kid humor. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for Bill Cosby to do like a family-friendly show, as a kid, you're like, nah. This yeah, doesn't no, have, that's this doesn't have that edge that I really. That's like. true. When I'd go to birthday parties, we were in the basement listening to Adam Sandler records or something. Yeah, like that. fuck me in the goat. <laughs> like, what what teenager didn't laugh at that? Um, yeah, the stand-up comics that I really really liked certainly uh, Robert Schimmel. Robert Schimmel was just such a misanthropic yeah. character. He's been gone for a few years now. Yeah, it was. It, it hurt when he passed away. Uh, uh, um, Larry Miller, oddly uh-huh. enough, as a kid watching Larry Miller doing his five levels of drinking bit. Right. I'd never been drunk before, but I knew there was just something perfect about that bit. Have you worked with him down at the Comedy Magic yeah. Club yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. How was that then, it getting was... to meet Well, I got. To, I, le- I met Larry uh, at the Just for Laughs Festival in 2008. Oh, okay. And I got to sit there at the bar and tell him, like, hey, when I was a kid, I watched you on TV. I wrote down that bit. I memorized it. I would do it for my babysitters. Yeah. And he gave the best response. He was like, oh, that's so nice. He said, you know, we're all just connected in this. I influence you. You'll influence somebody else. And we're all just connected. Right. And it made me feel like such a peer. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's good about that. He's amazing about that. And so... uh, yeah, I really liked him when I moved to San Francisco. Greg Proops was everywhere. Right, right. And you might notice that I've named a lot of dudes that wear suits and ties. <laughs> yes, and that's your thing, too. And, and a condescending Greg Proops. <laughs> Greg Proops being smarter than the crowd was real important to me. What does he bill himself at? I think the he bills The smartest himself. man in the world. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he has a lot of people that will leave during his show yeah arguably like he, he there crushes three-fourths of them and one-fourth are like i don't you know they either don't get it or they feel like he's talking down to them yeah. and he's he yeah. is i do i genuinely don't want to walk anybody right i want to make the bits ex- accessible to you anybody wish those who's 12 there. girls had stayed and listened right if they would have listened i'm certain there would have been things that they would have liked yeah but they didn't want to play by the rules and so they have to leave yes <laughs> And at that point, you just and want I everybody else to enjoy it. Right. I, I have, And I think that's part of stand-up comedy. You're a leader for the room. Right. You have to look out for the whole room. Yeah. You can't just look out for some individuals. You're the... There's <laughs> blood on the floor over there. Let's wipe that up before we continue yeah, playing. Yes, somebody else wipe it up. I'm busy. <laughs> somebody else wipe that up. That's, yeah. that's a big part, too, yeah. that you shouldn't have to do it. Right. Um, okay, if you were to give one person, anybody, whether we know them or not, it could be like a cousin you have or a friend. Unsolicited advice, what would it be? One person that when you're talking to your wife, you're like, this person just keeps doing that. I can't believe it. You mean about stand-up or in general? In general. In general. Um, it would probably be, uh, it's not an all or nothing situation. Okay. <laughs> stop Stop thinking of anything in those terms that it's, it's all or nothing. There are about a billion choices in between. Right. And uh, you're you're not in any position where you have to pick anything. If you choose, you could just sit on your couch. You don't have to make <laughs> these these huge choices in life. Right. Where it's like, well, I have to go to the gym every day or not at all. No, you could just go for a walk. <laughs> you right. could go for one walk, get a little bit of exercise. Hey, you know what? You could work out with dumbbells on a Tuesday. Just F around with them. Yeah. Uh, don't it's there are so many people who diet. Where they, if they're not on the diet, they just they fall j- off the rails. They fall off the rails. They go hog wild. Okay. Uh, yeah. Listen, if you fall off, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Just get back on. It's that's, all right. That's good advice. Just, just find a little bit. You don't have to be vegan seven days a week. You know how the world would change if we were all vegan one day a week? Like if all of us were vegan one day a week. Yeah. 
the world would be a completely different. We'd slaughter so fewer animals. Our 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 physical health would change. That's like sixteen percent less or something. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, but but people have this idea of like, ah, oh, I could never be vegan. Yeah. I like my meat too much. You could be a vegan on a Sunday. We try that real easily. We try we we try in our house to like just not eat meat every night of the week because we were doing that for yeah. a while. Yeah. And then we're just like, well, we don't have to. Sure. Well, and that's that's the other choice is, well, you don't have to. <laughs> if you're if you're vegan once a month, that's okay too. But this idea of I would never be vegan, well, that's the all or nothing type of thinking that doesn't work. Okay, I've got uh, three more questions. They're all really fast, um, or probably really fast. Um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the end of the world? Uh, do you remember the road? Yes. <laughs> Just that. Yeah, McCormick. That bleak. Dark people are alone. So not quite the end. <laughs> They're scrounging for for whatever they can find to live off of. That's what I think of when I think of the end of the world. Do you think you'll see it? No. 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 You think we're I fine? Would, We've all been complaining oh, as for soon as hundreds it starts, of years. As soon as it starts going downhill, I'll kill myself. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to survive. Just one bullet for you, the wife, and the dog. I'll jump off the building. I don't. Uh, whatever. You don't want to see that. I don't. I. I know that it's just going to be a long set of suffering. Yeah. So <laughs> if uh, it's the end of the you're world. You're not worried about it? You're just like, that's it? Um, well, I mean, I feel like there would be a question as to whether it's the end of the world. But you you would look at it and go, mm, I, I see the writing on the wall. Let's go ahead and jump off that wall. Yeah, I. Uh, that's, that's what's in my imagination. Okay. I don't know what sort of instincts would kick in, you know, when <laughs> zombies are breaking down the door. Right. If I'm like, I'm going to go out the window or I'm going to let them have me or if I'm going to try to fight back. Yeah. Because your instincts are weird. They just pop up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think about it or no? I do. When I think about the end of the world, when I predetermine it, when I imagine yeah. it, I end up killing myself. Okay. Yeah. I just laugh. Yeah. I, I think I just laugh. Do you laugh. think it's very funny that the world is collapsing? I think it'd be ridiculous. I think I'd still try to do stand-up comedy. I'd still be hanging my flyers on the wall like, hey, guys, I know the world's kind of collapsing, but yeah. doing the open mic down here. Huh. Got some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and by the way, um, the reason that my advice was an all or nothing thing yeah. is because that's my biggest flaw. It's my biggest poison. Because you go, I'm an all or nothing. You're all, okay. I try not to be. That's but good that you, you asked about that. the end of the world, and what do I pick? Well, nothing then. Okay. So here's <laughs> the last two things. Give someone, uh, I want you to end with talking about what you've got coming up, some, anything you want to plug, but before that, give somebody else a plug that you think deserves to be heard. Another comic you think's really funny, you saw their special sure. or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think Hampton Yaunt always makes me okay. laugh. Always makes me laugh. He's got great tweets. Yeah. He, uh, oddly enough, John Mulaney was just on SNL hosting and right. did this bit about uh, uh, the our our Constitution. Yeah, and, from his monologue. And yep. our yep. yeah. Um, well, number one, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. Great. And uh, Second Amendment. What do we got? Everybody gets guns. <laughs> um, Hampton was doing that bit for a long time. Oh no! And it's very similar, and you can understand how. It, we're we're just ordering them, right? So right. both comedians are going to do them in Absolutely. the same order. Not stolen, probably, but but Hampton, of course, he had videotape of it, and it was on the internet. Uh -huh. And then John Mulaney's on SNL doing something yeah. very similar. Dang it! Certainly not stolen, but very similar. Yeah. But anytime that happens, you know, the public goes, 
well, Hampton must have stolen it from John Mulaney. Right, right, right. I saw that SNL bit, and you go, no, no, Hampton's very funny. He's been doing that bit for a long time. Let him have his, his glory, too. Right, okay. Uh, so, yeah, people should look up Hampton Yon. And if they want to see that bit against Mulaney's bit, I think they can find it on Pornhub. I think he put it... <laughs> Just explore Pornhub as long if as you, you need If you to. type in Hampton Yont on Y-O-U-N-T on Pornhub, you'll find <laughs> that thing. I think it's called, like, Two Gay Twinks Scream Into a Dick or something like that. <laughs> I think that's what he titled it. Just Google that on any public computer. Yeah. Just do that. Great. Okay. Hampton. He, he's very funny. So Check look, him, look out. him up. He's got three albums that are fun. I've got uh, three albums that I'd like people to look up. I yes. made them so you could listen to them. So right. uh, the latest one is called Man in the Suit. Okay. They're all on Spotify if you want to go the cheap way or Pandora. If you buy an album, that's much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't expect anybody to. That I, business model's changed. Well, regardless, if you're a comedy fan, you're listening to this podcast, check out Ryan Stout. If he's on the road, uh, check him out there, and then uh, go to his website. That's RyanStout.com. Awesome. Yeah. Ryan, thanks for doing this. Is there a, a last thing? Because you said three more things. That was it. I, I, th- I lumped those two oh, last you ones together. Oh, you lumped them together. together. The, the, the two pitches together. I didn't All want All right. It. Solid hosting. Good job. <laughs>